0: National Rural Education Podcast, The Rural Voice. It is great to be back with you uh, with our producer slash co-host slash resident data fact checker, Chris Silver, Dr. Chris Silver, also with Dr. Jared Bigham coming to us from probably deep in the woods in Polk County, we think, we don't know for sure. Uh, Once again, my name is Alan Pratt. I'm one of the co-hosts and also executive director of the National Rural Ed., And uh, we're sponsored today by When Learning. When Learning um, is a career pathway um, tool, and it's been really strong for us. And they've been our partner and sponsor for two years. And we thank Steve Fain for all his work in sponsoring our podcast. I'm going to pass on to Dr. Jared Biggum. He's going to introduce our guests. We have a unique, interesting, and um, I think a well-timed podcast today. And also just want to highlight that Transfer VR is sponsoring our conference this year, part of our sponsorship. So we thank them in advance. So Dr. Begum, take it away.
1: Yeah, great. Uh thank you, Dr. Pratt. But I will I want to uh sidebar for a second, please in the future, if you identify my location as Polk County, make sure you add comma Tennessee on there because I don't want people to think I'm coming from Polk County, Florida. Uh, we, we got to make sure that my my residence is clear. Uh, so it's
0: Polk it. County. You figure out what state by his accent. That's the game. <laughs> uh, yes, yes. And I will say that um,
1: I actually lined up our guests today before I even knew they were a conference sponsor. So this is um, just a fortuitous timing to help promote um, their product and resources, and the thing—the great things they're doing in rural communities. Since they're one of our conference sponsors, so that's great. So, uh, for our long-time listeners, like two-year listeners, one of our guests uh, that we had around the, the start of the pandemic was Transfer VR, and uh, VR stands for virtual reality. And, uh, and what this tool could be used for in training students and adults uh, for uh, in different sectors, different areas, that uh, in in just some really innovative ways. And we had a great introduction to what the technology was. And since that time, they really uh, expanded into a lot of rural areas and doing some phenomenal things there. And Honestly, as I said two years ago, uh, I used to think when I first met one of our guests, that I'll introduce second hall charter, that it was kind of a gimmick like, yeah, this is something cool. That if you got some extra money laying around in a school that you might purchase. And uh, but then when the pandemic hit and I was like, well, people can't. Uh, the proximity issues and they're not able to get on campus and some different things. And how could we, or, or get instructors? Uh, what could we do to help facilitate some training for workforce development programs? And so I, I circled back with Hall and I, and I said, okay, here's some ideas I've got. And he's like, yeah, boom. And, it, and at that time I don't think there was hardly any presence in Tennessee and the team has grown since then um, with all the work they're doing, I'll let Hall talk about that. So no further ado, I will introduce Hall Charter and Hall, I'll let you uh, give them your title and what your focus area is now, because I know it's changed a lot since we first met and he is joined by Caitlin Cutshaw that that, uh, is unfortunately one of those fans uh that are south of Tennessee that we're not going to say the name on here it's like uh hall buddy tell us the title what's going on and then you can pass it off to Kate
2: thanks Jared appreciate it and it's lovely to be here today um thank you all for having us on the podcast um it, it has been a while since uh since we first were engaged down in Tennessee a couple of years ago and met you at the the Tennessee chamber of uh winter conference i believe it was just before the the pandemic set in yeah yeah uh, and i'd only been with transfer for a few months so i was a, a young whippersnapper at that point um still figuring out the the lay of the land but uh was luckily enough to to meet uh are you the mayor of pope county now
1: jared <laughs> mayor of turtletown now <laughs> mayor of turtletown okay city mayor and, <laughs> city mayor and. Uh, yeah, was uh,
2: was fortunate enough to to be involved in some um, conversations there and and start working with the Tennessee Board of Regents, with some of the school districts, with some workforce development boards, uh, and really for us about at transfer, it's about building those local ecosystems uh, and helping to create career opportunities for folks uh, whether they're urban or rural, uh, and providing equitable access to education, uh, particularly in a lot of those rural areas that may not have the the same types of technologies or infrastructure available uh, to now be able to put on a headset and learn you know, real tangible hands-on job skills um, that will help get them onto a pathway to a real rewarding career. Um, so I, I can get more into the details as we get into the podcast about some of the amazing partnerships we have there in Tennessee. Um, but it, it just, just a little bit of background about myself before I kick it over to Caitlin. Um, I'm originally from Australia, so um, grew up over there and, and moved to New York City three years ago, um, just before joining Transfer VR, and uh, have have yeah, had the joys of working with uh, a number of states now right across the U.S. Um, Tennessee is obviously my favorite. Definitely have a soft spot for for the South, wow. um, and uh, um, yeah. And so I've, I came in as a workforce advisor, uh, working with a lot of the the states and rural communities and. Um, I've recently been promoted to director of workforce advocacy uh, last year and so now I manage the team of of workforce advisors from Texas all the way up to Maine Uh, and then we have another director who manages the western region of the US as well. Um, And so I'll kick it over to Caitlin who is our vice president of economic development and let her introduce herself as well.
3: Hi, everybody. Um, again, as Hall mentioned, my name is Caitlin Kutchall. I'm our VP of Economic Development. Um, I really just want to thank y'all for allowing me to be on here, especially because I am crimson and white. Um, so that's that's a blessing to be here with everybody today. So a little bit of background about me. Um, I spent about five years working for Alabama Power, um, which is a large utility company that supports electricity and economic growth throughout the state. Um, I was in their economic development group and really focused on recruiting industrial customers to the state. Um, Through that process, we kept losing projects (laughs) to Tennessee and South Carolina and Georgia due to the lack of workforce development. Um, Through that process, I ended up meeting Barani, who is our CEO, and just fell in love with the results that virtual reality was really providing to Lockheed Martin and a few of our partners in rural Alabama, and I wanted to take that across all of the rural communities. So from there, we ended up getting with the governor's office, community college system, Department of Ed, um, and really making sure to... Understand the challenges that everybody was facing, so that we could be successful and um, helping people get on a career pathway. So that's a little bit about my background. My team now is really focused on building statewide initiatives and supporting states with the same mission. So, looking forward to the conversation today and and getting into more details of how we're supporting rural communities across America.
0: Awesome. Yeah, Caitlin and and Hall, thanks for being on. I'm sorry, Jared, I didn't mean to cut in there. I just kind of hit, I think our folks would kind of want to know, since they know some of the tech stuff, and and I'd like Caitlin and Hall to kind of short answer this one. Why transfer VR? Why do this for your community?
3: Yeah, so why transfer? You know, when I was focused on economic development, I was really seeing it at a high level. So, you know, you get to see there's 1,200 jobs that get added to a community. You've got 3.3 million in capital investment, and that's really rewarding to see that. But I really wanted to get more on the individual level. Um, So, actually, my team has the benefit of being able to help and track job placements. Um, So we get to see it at a very individual level. And then I would say just from my perspective, you know, it impacted me directly. So I wanted to be a dentist, I thought, Um, spent three years going through college to recognize when I started shadowing that I really love to talk. (laughs) So it really was not the best option for me. Um, and, and candidly, if I would have had the opportunity to put on a headset and be immersed into that experience in that environment, I would have never selected that as my as my career selection. So I think being able to help people um, understand what that environment would actually be like so they don't drop out of college and get ten thousand dollars worth of debt. Um, that's that's my overall why I, I love transfer and, and why I wanted to be a part of it.
0: That's a great answer, and that's that was kind of my point. I wanted to hear the kind of your side of that because that's how I look at it as well. So, Hall, you do have a little bit of an advantage. She gave a good answer, so let's go.
2: I know. I I can never beat Caitlin, but uh, I'll give it my best shot. Um, So kind of adding on to what Caitlin was saying in terms of uh, folks ending up in in different careers in terms of their field of study, uh, I think the statistic is that nine out of ten uh, graduates actually end up in a different field. And I was one of those uh, students. I, I studied finance when I was at university in Melbourne, Australia. And uh, and here I am, you know, working for a, a virtual reality education company. Um, and so coming over to the US, um, I, I also had a, a unique uh, high school education in that I attended a private school for three years and then a public school for three years, and that experience, to me, um, really opened my eyes to the diversity of learning um, and and the value of education as well. Um, and that I that you know, just because you go to a public school doesn't mean you should necessarily be disadvantaged from an education standpoint. And so, for me, uh, when I came to New York and and was introduced to transfer and the technology and the mission of the company. Um, to work every day to help people get a job and become aware of a lot of different career paths and options that are out there that oftentimes people are just unaware of. You know, students these days uh, they might know about a policeman, a fireman, a nurse. You know, some of these common jobs that they hear about from their parents, um, and their, their parents may be telling them, you know, don't go and work in manufacturing because it's dark and dirty, and, and they have an outdated view of what that industry is like. Yet in the advanced manufacturing world of today it's full of robotics Um, they're the most high-tech facilities that you'll see and some of the cleanest environments as well and so um, for us it's about changing the perspective of a lot of those uh, skilled trades and different career pathways that are available to these students that can really offer folks with uh, an amazing rewarding long-term career pathway Um, so if we can do anything we can to help them get their foot in the door. Uh, whether that's doing the career exploration in middle school and and trying out different occupations and figuring out what they don't like, just as importantly as as what they do like, uh, and then helping them navigate onto a career pathway. If that's a, a high school CTE program or a post secondary certificate or credential, uh, and then helping them at the end of the day get placed in a job. And and for us, you know, to answer your question, Alan, of why transfer. Um, a lot of people look at technology companies uh, just as that, a technology. And for us, it's about much, much more than that. You know, as Caitlin was saying, we have the whole, her whole team of, of economic development that consists of government relations managers, grants, writers, research analysts. We have a career success team that are dedicated to all of our partners that we work with. And they they track the progress and their utilization every single month to make sure that You know, how many students are going through the program? What areas of of careers are they interested in? And how can we help through our connections into the local communities there to help these people either get placed into a a post-secondary program or into a a career pathway directly into employment with a local company? Um, So so for us, it's really about that broader mission of of connecting those dots and and helping people, not just to technology.
1: Yeah. And and I know we're going to talk about some examples where in rural communities, in different ways, this technology is being used, but I, I just briefly, I want to, for those that aren't familiar with what this technology is, is it, you put these goggles on and you are immersed in a 3d environment that can look exactly like a, an office space or a, a, a uh, manufacturing floor. And and I've actually, they sent me a pair of these goggles to try um, when we were first starting to do a lot more work in Tennessee. And the thing that was wild to me is that uh, some of the training programs, or I guess all the training programs, you had a live person who's a certified trainer delivering the content. So for schools that don't have access to a, um, you know, maybe in a particular CTE program, They only got three kids, so they can't uh, afford to pay an instructor for three kids, but they could leverage this technology because it's so immersive and you're actually, you know, you've got these controllers in your hands you're using. So for those that don't, aren't familiar with this, just, put in your mind, um, it's almost like futuristic technology (laughs) from Star Trek or, or something like that, because um, you are, you are in an environment and you can turn around 360 degrees and see that environment. So um, I wanted to add that um, little little bit of framing. And I want us to just dive right into some of the examples of ways that you're using this or rural communities are using this to help support either career exploration training some of those others uh, things you talked about so um, I I will pitch that to um, let's let's go back to Caitlin Caitlin can you can you brief us on some of those
3: yeah happy to so I'd love to just share one high level example and then maybe get into more details Um, so I'm going to start with Alabama Um, it's where I'm from and I think it's a little bit more powerful. So my parents live in a really small town. It's called Butler, Alabama. If you blink, you miss it. Um, they celebrated when they got a McDonald's. So it's, it's very small. Um, and that's actually one of the communities that's been impacted. Um, so it's just very powerful to be able to see that, you know, your town that your parents live in or wherever it was at, um, those students are now being impacted positively. Um, And being able to see the overall success that they can they can have in welding or automotive or aviation, whatever they end up selecting so very specifically they have a workforce development board it's called West Alabama works Um, there are seven across the state of Alabama. So this region um, covers about nine counties, and most of the counties are very rural. Um, Some of them are the highest um, poverty rates across the country. So really trying to help those students be successful can be a challenge sometimes. They don't have millions of dollars to create CTE programs or centers to stand up if they only have 10 students, for example. So what they've done is they've actually taken 10 headsets Um, around all of those counties they've helped support career exploration in the eighth grade so what they'll do eighth grade spring they will have every single eighth grader go through the career exploration Um, they get about an hour each to be able to experience up to 23 occupations depending how quickly um, they go through they may only get to experience five and if they end up spending all of their time in oil change for example because they love it that's great we help them understand the the career pathway that they should go into um, and then what happens is they then get to go through career exploration again in ninth grade so they basically hit them twice on different career opportunities and they've seen an 18 percent increase in CTE enrollment from that um, that was a four-week program and there were over 1100 students that were impacted so it's just really exciting and, and kind of humbling to be able to see the impact that we're having in such a short amount of time Um, to really make sure that we're helping people and and these students understand the career pathways that exist and and get them on a track to success. Um, So that's one example. I know I can definitely share a lot more um, experiences, but do want to kick it over to Hall and maybe we can go back and forth on this one.
2: Awesome. Thank you, Caitlin. Uh, Yeah. And I mean, the impact that we're having in that area in Alabama has been phenomenal. Um, And I can speak more to some examples um, that are local to you, Jared and Alan, in uh, Tennessee there. So um, one of the workforce development boards that we've been working really closely with is the Southeast Tennessee Workforce Board with um, Autumn, Michelle, Maddie, and the team down there. And one of the challenges that they saw was that a lot of the surrounding school districts in their service area uh, just were not getting adequate career exploration Uh, at any of the middle schools there and so we started with a small pilot program with the southeast Tennessee workforce board Uh, they had a number of uh, around nine headsets I believe they started out with and they set up a model where they would take the headsets around for several weeks at a time to uh, some of the different middle schools throughout the region And um, they've had some amazing results there Uh, since we've had the partnership with them. They've had 398 students now go through uh, the career exploration facility to be able to try out all of the different occupations that we have in there. Um, There's currently 23 occupations that we have in the application right now. Uh, And then some of them have started to use it on the actual training side as well now at the high schools. So um, Bradley County Schools is another one that we've been working closely with. And after they had uh, the set of headsets out there from the workforce board, uh, they actually decided to, to um, go ahead and partner with Transfer VR directly to get their own um, licenses and headsets to be able to serve both the middle school and the high school. And so um, in Bradley County alone, now, um, since they've had their own headsets, they've had another 437 um, unique students go through the career exploration facility. And they've just started to introduce the virtual training facility as well into the high school. Um, they're actually doing an amazing um, program out there called the Pi Center, which um, some of your your listeners might be familiar with. But that is um, a partnerships between industry and education is what Pi stands for, and they're officially launching that center in August. Uh, but basically, it's a it's an enormous warehouse style building that. They're setting up with uh, different industry partners in the local area that will come in. And basically, they can set up their own little booths within the center there and have students from the high school come through, learn about the different job opportunities that are on offer by these different employers um, and learn some of the skills that they might need to know uh, in terms of how to be effective in those jobs. And so Bradley County is setting up a virtual reality lab within the Pi Center um, with the VR headsets. Set up there so that uh, the middle school students can come in and do some career exploration and learn some of the hands on skills in VR in, in a safe training environment where they might go in and work on a $2 million paint robot that might be on an, uh, uh, an assembly line at a local automotive manufacturer. And they can do that in a safe environment. They can play around, they can make mistakes, they can learn how to diagnose and troubleshoot a, a multi million dollar paint robot that. Uh, a middle school student may just never get the opportunity to do something like that. And so uh, if that, you know, potentially opens up their mind to a, a career pathway as an industrial maintenance technician at a local manufacturer, and we can help them connect the dots into that local employer, then, uh, you know, that's that's what we're there to do at the end of the day. And so uh, the Pi Center is opening up later this year, and, and they'll also be using the headsets in the, the STEM pods um, that they have there as well. So those are some local examples there for you in Tennessee
0: too. Hey, hey Hall, Quickly, I'm going to follow up. And Caitlin, please jump on this one as well. Uh, what's the? You said there's 23 career that they can explore. 23 different. What What do you think is the most important? And and Hall, you can look nationally, and then Caitlin also look at Alabama. What's the most? I guess attracting students right now.
2: Yeah, I would definitely say um, the manufacturing is is attractive, particularly because as I was mentioning earlier that a lot of people just have an outdated view or are unaware of what a manufacturing career path looks like today. And, and what some of these advanced manufacturing environments actually involve, uh, you know, things like the, the multi-million-dollar paint robots and things like that, where it's a lot more technology based. Um, but even other occupations like automotive, for example, where, you know, we will have younger female students go through and, and put the headset on and, try an engine oil change and they'll go through and they're lifting up the hood and picking up the oil and and learning from the digital coach in VR how to change the oil on a vehicle. And uh, it's amazing to see, you know, they'll take the headset off and say, hey, like, I thought you had to be a boy or a man and, and strong to be able to become an automotive mechanic. I didn't realize that that was actually what was involved with some of these tasks. And so it's removing barriers to entry into a lot of these different occupations that, uh, oftentimes, certain demographics uh, feel like they may not be a fit for. Uh, and then we have a lot of other skilled trades in there. So things like carpenters, electricians, welding, machinists, um, logistics and warehousing. So uh, that's, that's a lot of what we have in there today. And uh, the team is currently working on the next version of the application at the moment that will be coming out in uh, 2023.
3: I think the one thing that I'll add to that is that what we're doing is truly aligning with what business and industry needs. So that's the most important thing when we're developing our curriculum, working alongside business and industry, getting feedback directly from them. Because if we're not working in alignment with what open jobs exist, then we're not going to be piping them into the right jobs. So that's something that's really important for us just to continue to update, streamline and understand the biggest supply and demand gaps across the U.S., Um, so that we can ensure success for new individuals training or being exposed to these careers.
1: I've got a question. Um, Talk to us about some examples uh, in, in rural communities where you have seen some success stories in workforce development in training students from you know, either coming out of high school or even with some post-secondary training where they, they're they able to go uh, access a job that probably they would not have had the opportunity to without this technology at their disposal.
2: Yeah, I've got a great example that I can share on that one, Jared. Uh, that's with uh, Savannah Technical College that we've been working with over in Georgia. Um, they actually came to us about 18 months ago and they had just... Initiated a new non-credit certificate program that was focused at um, high school students that were graduating from high school and really just had no idea about what they were going to do after high school, and so they they put together a curriculum uh, called the Fast Track Manufacturing Program. It's a short five-week program that involves some some soft skills, um, some hard skills in manufacturing, uh, a certificate as well, so an MSSC. A certified production technician or a certified logistics technician certificate as part of the program. Um, and so they launched that a couple of years ago. And, and unfortunately, they just weren't seeing the results out of that program that they initially hoped for. Um, none of the graduates that finished from the program continued on to, to a higher education program at Savannah Tech, um, nor did they go into a manufacturing career with, with a local company. And so Um, Savannah Tech wanted to do something innovative and and, uh, basically update the entire curriculum to make it much more attractive for students and really help to fill that local skills gap uh, for manufacturing jobs and so they approached transfer um, we partnered with them and worked with them on updating the curriculum including transfer VR um, to learn a lot of those hands-on skills as part of that program Um, and we have uh, skills that align with those certificate programs, as well, the CPT and the CLT, as well, for logistics. And so they reinitiated the program. Um, the first, was, this was during the pandemic, they had uh, a cohort of seven students come in and, and register for the program. So out of that seven that went through and finished, they had uh, four students that went on to enroll into a higher education program at Savannah Tech. They had, two, uh, they had one student who actually went directly onto employment as a forklift operator, earning $23 an hour. And two of the other students ended up getting employed directly with the largest chemical manufacturer in Savannah, who at the time actually had a, an age hiring limit of 21 years and above. And working with uh, Savannah Technical College and Transfer, And the manufacturer, we were able to then drop that age hiring limit down to 18 so that these two graduates uh, could now go directly into employment in that company. And and they're both still working there today. So that's, uh, you know, in my mind, an amazing story of how we've been able to really shift uh, the mindset of a lot of those students coming out of some of those rural school districts there in Savannah to help get them into these uh, rewarding career pathways.
1: That's awesome. Yeah. it's amazing all the the different strategies and initiatives and that have come out of the pandemic that the pandemic really forced especially in education at all levels k-12 post-secondary and there's you know i don't the silver lining i guess to the pandemic is things like this that we've learned to do new technologies we've learned to leverage um and so if if nothing that that uh, with all the challenges that came with were were also some positives as far as just pushing people out of the comfort zone either strategically or professionally i think is something that uh has been a positive so we're, we're getting close to closing up on uh our the our time here but before we go I want each of you to share your favorite use of the headsets in a rural community where anywhere in the nation anywhere it's being used or or globally in in a rural area what is your personal favorite use of the transfer vr technology right now and Caitlin will let
3: ladies first oh man there's so many (laughs) Um, I, I will say there I'm gonna I'm gonna maybe do two examples if that's okay, Jared, because I do have two that are just very unique that
1: well you are from Alabama, so you I know no you know, Tide fans cheat. So wow. go ahead.
3: Yeah. I know it. Um so one of the things that's been really powerful is just our partnership with boys and girls clubs. Um so we are partnering with, you know, 18 clubs across Arkansas, 10 across Montana. Um, there's just a lot of of clubs that really have um, a big focus on helping at-risk youth and that's just really powerful i think for me to see that partnership grow with their team because you are helping people that are in poverty and in rural communities and really struggling and you know asking themselves are we going to have food on the table or what does this look like and where are we going to be at in the next year so i think that that one is just, really really I think emotional hit for me Um, and just seeing how successful that has been and how many you know youth that we've impacted over the past year um, with boys and girls club has just been really exciting what they do is they go in implement it into their workforce development programs utilizing career exploration so they're really trying to help their youth understand the careers that exist within their community showcase the companies that exist so that they can really feel confident in their career selections, and then also get enrolled in programs that can help them get trained for those jobs. So that one is just something that kind of hits hard for me and is really exciting to see that growth and and the impact that we're having with their team. And then the second one that I would say is in Tuscaloosa. (laughs) So, um, but it is, they, they have Mercedes in their backyard and Mercedes right now is hiring about 50 people per week. Um, that is insane. That is so many people and the unemployment rate and the labor force participation rate um, is so low in Alabama. So being able to tap into um, a system to help people understand the careers that exist and then get them trained is really powerful. Um, So what we did with the state of Alabama is actually deployed across 20 high schools, a new program called modern manufacturing, Um, And this program is really focused on industrial maintenance, mechatronics, and they go into a dual enrollment program. So right now there's already 66 apprentices with Mercedes. Um, They have not graduated high school yet. They're going through this modern manufacturing program where they get to have hands-on experience, Mercedes actually donated a car that they get to take apart and put back together. Um, And then also utilizing the VR technology to understand precision measurement and safety mechanisms Um, it's just really powerful to see. I think the other component to that is the adult learners within rural communities because they're having to tap into second chance and um, incarcerated individuals and then also looking at people coming out of the uh, veterans programs or transitioning veterans. We have about, oh gosh, 7,800 veterans that transition out annually in Alabama so that's definitely a target population for us. So this community has really just focused on really helping everybody find that career pathway, get them trained at the local community college and then getting them placed directly with Mercedes or a supplier of Mercedes. So it's just a really powerful program and exciting to see the growth across the state.
1: Awesome, That, that, that was those were two good ones. It was a great examples and I'm glad you shared both. Paul, what's your favorite example? And you only get one, one.
2: All right, I'll, I'll try and be short and sweet. Uh, so I, I actually was want to talk on more about what Caitlin was just finishing on there on the veteran population. Uh, so that's a partnership that I've been lucky enough to be involved with uh, through transfer for about 18 months now when we first started working with the Manufacturing Institute um, nationally. And they have a program called Heroes Make America which is targeted at helping transitioning military service members who are in their last six months of service um, to be able to earn an industry recognized credential through a partnership with a local community college or technical college, and then help to actually get them placed in a job after they transition back to civilian life. And so we're now operating at a number of different military bases across the US. And this is really building on what we were talking about earlier, um, in setting up those ecosystems, you know, partnering with the local community college, partnering with whether it's the local high school or middle school, or if it is the military base, or you know, the local county jail or a state prison to serve incarcerated folks as well. Those are other amazing programs that we've got set up. But the veteran one, um, I think, is another great example where there's 200,000 military service members that transition out across the entire country every single year. And, you know, they have extremely high rates of things like suicide where, because they just, they either have PTSD or they may not have a direction uh, after they transition out. And so for us to be able to help that population and help them earn an industry credential through one of our partnerships with a local community college there, and then actually help get them placed in a job, Uh, The Heroes Make America program has a a 92% job placement rate. And so that's uh, something that we're extremely proud to be involved with. And, um, you know, we're always excited to be able to help uh, those underserved and and, um, demographics that that may not have the same opportunities as others.
1: Great. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, All right. We are at the point in the show that we ask a universal question of all our listeners. And since both of you, I'm sure, tune in to every episode, you already know what I'm going to ask, but I'll I'll ask it anyway for the benefit of new listeners out there. And I'm going to start with you, uh, Caitlin, because Hall will probably need more time to think of something. You, you're a little quicker on your feet. Imagine... You are Harry Potter for a day, or we'll we'll say Hermione. We'll, we'll state, we'll give you a, a female character. You're Hermione, and you've got a magic wand, and you could wave that wand across the education landscape. What is one thing you would do with that wave of the wand? And you can't you can't use it for more waves. Only one wave. So before you try to sneak in a second thing like you did a minute ago.
3: I don't know, she does have that giant bag that she just pulls random things (laughs) out of all the time.
1: (laughs) Yes, so I can tell you're you're a Harry Potter fan if you know that. So, but but one wave, what would you do to the impact the education landscape?
3: Um, That is a really great question. Um, You know, I think the biggest thing that, you know, we've seen challenges with is is truly on outcome-based funding um, and really focusing efforts around funding initiatives to support job placements. Um, So if you look at state's longitudinal data systems or whatever it may be, I think that that's one area that we've really, really struggled with. Um, Even looking at WIOA data, um, you see a lot of gaps and barriers in, in the data that's shared back with um, DOL on that so if if I could wave just one wand I do think it's if we could do a better job connectivity of bringing business and industry to the table um, and helping it helping students better align and understand the careers that exist so that they could actually get placed in a job Um, I just don't think that we do a very good job right now of exposing students and helping them actually understand the career trajectory and pathway, and then also helping them understand those companies that exist within the community.
1: Great, great answer. Paul, same question, except you're Harry Potter. (laughs) What's your one way?
2: my the the Australian version of Harry Potter is there an Aussie character in the Harry Potter series I haven't seen them all so
1: no I think we should uh lobby um JK Rowling to write a new book to include an Australian character that maybe that'll get us a get a new book out there
2: <laughs> definitely all right I'll, I'll add that to my list to send her a letter um so for me I think what I've have been interested in recently is this whole concept around competency-based education and I think there are a number of states that are starting to move more towards this model Um, and it it drives with Caitlin's point as well of really bringing industry to the table and building that tighter knit collaboration between uh, the public and private sides and so I think that we're starting to see that shift a little bit um, but I think there's definitely a long way that we have to go nationally uh, in terms of having a lot of the post secondary institutions to come on board with that and really meet industry um, with what they're looking for. You know, it might only necessarily be something like a short five week credential, like the fast track manufacturing program that I was talking about earlier, where if we can prove that this student has learnt the competencies and it might be in a shorter amount of time. You know, every student has different learning abilities and capabilities, and so we're able to say, hey, if you complete these X number of modules in a certain amount of time with a certain score, these Y employers are willing to offer you a job based on your skills and competencies. And so um, that's something that I would love to see more of as we we move forward.
1: Awesome. Great. Uh, uh, Dr. Pratt? closing thoughts. I mean, they, these examples have been amazing. Um, it's a technology, I think it's going to start permeating our schools and K-12 and post-secondary. I mean, I, I told Hall one time, I, I expect within five to seven years that you will see students getting on the bus with either their, Chromebook or some kind of tablet, as well as a set of VR goggles. Like I think there's going to start permeating our education culture to the point price point will start coming down and it will, uh, I mean, you can remember laptops used to be 2000 bucks or, or more, <laughs> and now uh, you can get one dollar general store, I think. So um, I think it's going to be a technology that's going to be in use more and more.
0: Yeah, I think, I think you're right. And I also think that uh, Kayla made a good point about the connection of the workforce industry, but also the community to the K-12 and higher ed and making that kind of a seamless transition and, you know, in a way to to set up, th- set up you know, careers and students to what is needed with workforce. And then, you know, Hall, I think, was right on spot on with the fact of you know training but but also the the changes in these communities and connections to communities and that's what rural communities are all about so i I think there's a this is you know if you're listening out there this is the this is something definitely worth checking out Uh, i also think it's something that you know at our conference in the fall if if you want to meet up with the the folks I think that's a good thing to do and there's a lot of ways to make this happen in your rural community. I think no matter how small the community or uh, how large, I think there's ways to make these connections and really, you know, our job as educators is to prepare the next generation of youth to do what is needed to keep things moving forward and and, uh, I think that's, this hits right in the the wheelhouse of what is needed. So very, very good and very uh, informative session today.
2: Yeah, thank you. I just want to say, uh, you know, on behalf of, of Transfer, we appreciate you having us on the podcast and um, looking forward to hopefully joining another one in the future.
0: It sounds good.
3: Yeah, thank you so much for the invitation. It's been fun, even if I am crimson and white. It's been <laughs> lovely to be here with you. All. <laughs>
0: hey, we won't hold it against you. You're doing too good of work to hold that against you. Well, thank our listeners for joining us. Stay tuned for
1: the upcoming episode of the NREA National Rural Education Podcast. We've got a lineup coming up this summer of exciting guests that I think we're going to find interesting and intriguing at the same time. So looking forward to sharing more of what's going on in rural education across the country. Thanks for joining.
4: The views and opinions expressed in this podcast and website are those of Dr. Alan Pratt, Dr. Jared Bingham, and Dr. Christopher F. Silver, and do not represent the affiliated universities and or any organization affiliated with the hosts. This podcast and the accompanying material, including our website, represent the opinions of Dr. Alan Pratt, Dr. Jared Bingham, and Dr. Christopher F. Silver, and their guests to the show and website. The content here should not be taken as medical or professional advice and should be used at your own risk. The content here is for informational purposes only and should be understood as such. The Rural Voice podcast or its hosts do not endorse, approve, recommend, or certify any information, product, process, service, or organization presented or mentioned in this podcast. And the information from this podcast should not be referenced in any way to imply such approval or endorsement. Further, the content of this podcast are the property of the National Rural Education Association and are protected under U.S. and international copyright and trademark law. No other use, including without limitation, reproduction, retransmission, or editing of this podcast may be made without prior written permission. By listening to this podcast, you agree to the terms and conditions, and while we make every effort to ensure that the information that we are sharing is accurate, we welcome any comments, suggestions, or corrections of errors. Thank you.